Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 10. You should be able to find it there in your bulletin. Uh, beginning in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Hooks. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would ready us to receive your word and to rejoice in your work through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we've been studying the book of Acts by looking at its major themes. And one of those themes is the power of God. The power of God to break into our world, the power of God to break through opposition, both inside the church and outside the church, and the power of God to break out and to extend the reach of the gospel into new frontiers, new places. That is the setting of our passage this morning. Uh, We're seeing the gospel break out into new frontiers. What I want you to see from our our story this morning is that when that happens, when the church is involved in God's work among new people in new places, it not only changes the hearers, it changes the senders as well. That on those frontiers, the power of God changes not only those who receive the gospel, but those who are sent to proclaim it as well. You know, maybe you've been at uh, someone else's wedding Perhaps you've been married a while, you've been at someone else's wedding, and you've seen the way that a groom, a new groom, looks at his new bride as she's coming down the aisle. Or you've heard something the minister said, we like to believe that happens every once in a while. 
or you're hearing the vowels again, and all that experience has renewed the way that you've even thought about your own marriage. Yesterday, we had to drag some of our kids to basketball games. Kids, I'm sure you have been to your brother's or sister's games of some sort before, and you'll notice at, at these games in the gyms that, um, that you know, the kids that aren't playing are supposed to sit there like quietly, but if there is a ball around, they cannot help but pick it up and start dribbling, and as soon as there's a timeout or you know, the third quarter ends or something, everyone runs out to the court to try to get a shot in because it is contagious. Some things are contagious. The work to which we've been called to witness is contagious. And even more, it is transformational both for those inside the church and for those outside the church. So what I want you to see this morning is it's not only that the frontier needs the church, it's that we need the frontier. We need to go out and be pushed out by God. So Chad, what do you mean by frontier? Well, by definition, a frontier is an outer limit, right? It's an outer limit. It's where where things are uh, unsettled. In Acts, the frontiers are the places where the kingship of Jesus Christ, though present, is not recognized nor obeyed. Okay? In Acts, it's the places where the kingship of Jesus Christ, though present, always present everywhere, is not recognized nor obeyed. Of course, by that definition, you can imagine that that we have frontiers all around us. Our neighborhoods are frontiers. Our schools, our families, our city, our vocational fields, areas of culture. There are all kinds of places in our lives where the authority of Christ, though present, is not honored, not recognized, not obeyed. But in Acts, the frontiers specifically radiate out from Jerusalem where the apostles of Christ were first sent out by Jesus in Acts 1.9. Acts 1.8, excuse me. Acts 1.8 says this, but, but you, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, the power of God. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. These are the frontiers. And in this scene, though technically we are still in the Judean frontier of Caesarea, which is kind of like the Bible Belt in those days, the Gentiles fall into the category of the ends of the earth. That's the frontier here. The Gentiles are the far away ones, the farthest away ones, all the people who were not Israel, who did not know of or submit to the kingship of Yahweh. And in time and over time, the Gentiles were not only looked upon by Israel as not us or uh, not as advantaged as us, they were actually looked upon by Israel as an inferior, perhaps even unworthy mass of humanity. And that is where the mission of Christ has carried these messengers. And what they come to see in our passage is that not only do these unworthy Gentiles receive the gospel just as enthusiastically as the Jews did back in Acts 2 at Pentecost, but perhaps even more amazingly, God gives these unworthy Gentiles the fullness of his spirit in the exact same way as he did his people. 
so that whatever difference used to exist has now been totally and fully wiped away by God. This is not a second Pentecost. This is God joining this faraway frontier people into the only Pentecost so that later the Apostle Paul can write, for it is in one spirit that we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all are made to drink of one spirit. And it's funny to think about Luke writing this story, right? Luke was a Gentile. This is, this is Luke's story. This is his people. And he's a Gentile and reading, writing this, and, and I love how he records the reaction of these Christian Jews in verse 45. Look at what he says there. He says, and the believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Wow, even on them. You say, why do we need the frontier? Why do we need to be agents of extending the gospel? I'll tell you why. We need to be amazed by the power of God. We need to be amazed by the power of God poured out even on those who feel far away to us. I want to give you three specific reasons this morning why this is really important that we can glean from the passage. Three reasons that we need to be pushed out as a people to share the gospel in new places on new frontiers. The first is this, that joining in God's work on the frontier helps us to trust what we think we believe. Joining in God's work on the frontier helps us to actually trust what it is that we say that we believe. Look at, how, look at how Peter starts out his sermon in verse 34. Just look there with me. Put your eyes on the page for a moment. See what he says? Probably easy to pass over. He says, truly, I understand now. Okay? Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Which means before his experience, and you can read the background of this passage right before this, before his experience with Cornelius in Caesarea, who was a Gentile, he didn't understand it. He didn't understand it. Now, I bet he thought he knew it at some point. You see, all his life as a Jew, Peter knew that according to the promise given to Abraham, that the scope of God's love was always for the nations. Peter had heard of Job, right? You've heard of Job, maybe? Job is a non-Jewish man from the land of Uz, a non-Jewish land, and he was righteous in the sight of God. Peter would have known that Jonah had been sent to those evil, evil Gentiles in Nineveh because God so loved the whole city of that non-Israel city. You see, Peter knew it, but Peter didn't know it. The insularity of God's people the drive over the, over the years to fortify themselves against worldly influence had kept him from really knowing and trusting in the things that he said he believed. And that frontier brought that reality home for him. You could ask us this morning, do we really believe that God is our true provider and protector? Do we believe that? Do we really believe that God is in control, that he is sovereign over, the, over, over our world, over every human heart? Do we believe that God is good and that he works all things for the good of those who love him? Do we believe that? Do we believe that we have good news to proclaim? That in our profession of faith, as we said this morning, there is no distinction, but all are justified by his grace 
as a gift? Do we believe it? Yeah, I think yes. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, the frontiers, the places where we are actively seeking the inbreaking of God's mercy and kingdom, the frontiers provide an opportunity to cling to those things in a way perhaps we never have before. We are a people who need to cling to the things that we believe. And being pushed out helps us to cling. That's number one. Second thing I want you to see is that joining in God's work on the frontier reminds us of the simple power of the gospel. It reminds us of the simple power of the gospel. You know, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You probably hear that word a lot thrown around in church and other places. What is the gospel? We use it to stand in for a lot of things. Well, if you're ever confused, just come back here. Here's the gospel. Jesus lived and did good things, okay? He died. He was put to death. God raised him. He is now Lord over all. And because of all those things, Jesus is now in a position to judge the entire world and to forgive. And the gospel is that Jesus will forgive any and all who come to bow before him. That's the message. And I think my, my favorite part in this whole episode is that, is verse 44. Look there with me. Verse 44, Luke records this. He says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So imagine that scene with me. Peter is still talking. He has no intention of stopping. Right? Like, it's not lunchtime yet. I mean, he's got some good stories to tell, and he's just winding up as a preacher. He's not ready to land the plane. And yet God says, we're done, that's enough. And he closes the curtain on Peter's message because the whole gospel had been preached. Three minutes. Three minutes. And some of you may take that as a sign that God really appreciates shorter sermons. I take it to mean that until you're speaking in tongues, I'm allowed to keep going. So. What is Luke telling us? Luke is saying that God's spirit is at work through God's word preached. So simple. God's spirit is at work through the proclamation of God's word. That's it. Verse 44, look at verse 44 again. The spirit fell on those who what? Who had heard Peter's incredible delivery. Who had heard his winsome approach. Who had heard his funny stories. No, the spirit fell on all those who what? Had heard the word. It is the word. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has power. A friend of mine um, sent me something years ago that I've kept with me to remind me of this. And it's something that a woman named Kathy Keller wrote. And Kathy's husband is a well-known pastor, Tim Keller, in New York, who many would say is one of the most gifted preachers of our generation. This is what she wrote. She says, remember, the gospel is the power. Not programs, not clever preaching, but the gospel. Yes, I know that Tim is a good preacher. Meh. She says, I've heard him more than anyone. 
but I've also sat under the preaching of pastors who did not have good speaking gifts, and I have wept. And I've seen people converted because it was the clarity of the gospel, not the level of their giftedness. He said, friends, always trust the power of the mystery of Christ that God has come to save people through the life and death of Jesus applied to our need. And knowing that you are not ultimately facing the ultimate taskmaster and judge, but the open arms of a loving father, that that message, that message changes everything. When we talk about new churches, when we talk about new doors and a new city, we are not talking about a new gospel. We are talking about the simple message of Christ applied on those frontiers, and we are trusting in that message, that that message and not the level of our giftedness or our strategic thinking or our material resourcing, but that that message has the power to change people, even us. The frontier reminds us that there is power in the simple message of proclaiming who Jesus is. And finally this morning, and I want you to see this, that, that joining in God's work on the frontier as he pushes us out has the power to humble and renew us. The power to humble us and to renew us as his people. You know, this occasion becomes like a major turning point in the history of salvation because Really the proof, now he said it before, but really the proof that God shows no partiality. The living proof that he doesn't favor one kind of person over another ultimately means that everyone is in the same position before him. So you can imagine this for the Jews who were there, the Christian Jews who were there with Peter, that perhaps at some point in their lives, maybe secretly the thought had entered their imagination that God really loved them because they were Jewish. Or that God really loved them because they were raised in a strong family, a religious family. Or that God's favor was shown to them because they had worked hard to be so moral and so ethical. That upon witnessing this, that now if God could do the same thing for these unclean, unknowing Gentiles that he had done for them, then all their reasons for thinking that God had loved them because were no longer good reasons. So why did he love them? Well, God had told Israel way back in Deuteronomy 7, I'm not choosing you. I'm not choosing to love you because you're big, because you're strong, because you're gifted, because you're beautiful. It's my translation. I'm choosing to love you solely because of my grace. You see, by grace alone, God had given himself to Israel. It is by grace alone that God has given himself to these Gentiles, and it is always always, always, by grace alone that God gives himself to any of us. And the frontier reminds us of that. When we see even the Gentiles, when we see even the fill in the blank for you, it reminds us, wait, wait a minute, even us. We were a frontier, we were the frontier that Jesus Christ left heaven to come and seek. As Peter says, God has no favorites, right? The other way to put that, though, is that God has only favorites. 
He has only favorites. Peter and his apostles were Jesus' favorites. The Gentiles were Jesus' favorites. Where you sit this morning, you are his favorite. You are his favorite. Have you seen the look in someone's eyes recently when they realize that they're the favorite? You watch a, a bride who finds her groom, up-and-coming groom on bended knee to, to ask for her hand in marriage, how she feels. You had a friend get a, a, a promotion or a, um, something at work that, that was uh, extremely competitive, how, how he feels about that. Recently, my favorite story of this recently or illustration is that there was a Spanish sprinter named Bruno Hortolano who um, competed in the European um, 200-meter championships. And Bruno finished the race second, and he went into the interview afterward, and, and the, interview, the, the woman who was in the interviewing said, what does it feel like to win? And he's like, oh, there's a language barrier here, obviously, or she didn't watch the race. And he said, you know, he just kind of like brush it off, and she keeps going. He says, what, you know, what does it feel like to actually win? And, and she realizes at some point that he doesn't know that the guy that finished ahead of him was disqualified. And she is telling him that he didn't win the silver, but the gold. And she tells him this, and she has to convince him that, that the good news is actually true. And his response is unbelievable because he can't finish the interview. He is so overcome with emotion that he is the one. The only one, the favorite. And it's contagious for her as well. Friends, do you remember what it's like to see someone realize that God sees them that way? That God sees them that way. To let it sink in for someone that because of the love of Christ, he or she is no second-class human being. Not an unworthy sinner but only and eternally God's beloved son. If you've ever seen that, it is a powerful moment. And what I want you to see this morning is that the frontier affords us opportunities to see that anew and in the process to amaze us. As the Apostle John says, see what kind of love the Father has given us. Yes, even us. Even us. That of all people, we here at Dallas, Texas, should be called the very children of God. There's a man in my life, he's a friend now that I've been meeting with for 18 months, who is wrestling with the reality of the gospel for the first time, struggling to cling to the good news of Jesus. His heart is a frontier. And I gotta tell you, it has been a roller coaster 18 months. We were meeting again this week as we try to do every week and at the end of our time, he looked at me sadly and apologized and said, I am sorry that our relationship is such a one-way street. Meaning that our relationship is only me giving him stuff. And I told him, I didn't have to hesitate. I said, look, you have no idea. This meeting is one of the highlights of my week because I desperately need to see God's work in you. How refreshing it is for me to see the power of God break through in your life. I need you as much as you need me. You know, Peter and the Jewish Christians needed this. As a Gentile himself, Luke knows that we need this. So Luke's message in Acts is pretty simple. He says, come close to God so that God can push you out 
to extend not only the transforming presence of the kingdom of Christ in new places, but to push you out, to push us out, so that he can extend and transform us in the process as well. The frontier needs us, maybe. Not really. God is pleased to use us there. But he's also pleased to use the frontier in our lives to remake us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you this morning that you've given us the story of your people um, to correct us, to convict us, Father, to give us life. We thank you, Father, that Jesus has sought us, a frontier ourselves. And we do pray, Father, that you would release us from the spirit of fear. Father, that we would run to the frontier knowing that we need your work, to, vi- to watch your work there as much as we need to participate in it, to join in it. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.